What a joy it is to be together, isn't it? It's always a joyful occasion when people of God have an opportunity to come and worship together. And we're grateful for your attendance tonight. And especially we have guests in our audience tonight. And we're just delighted that you're a part of our, our worship, part of our service. We always feel honored. And we're always encouraged by visitors who come our way. And we want you to know here at Mount Juliet, if there's any way we can be of service to you and help to you and minister to you in any way, we would love to do that. Because we're just a group of people trying to love the Lord with all of our ability and love one another and be a shining example in this community for the very cause of Christ for which we love. So if we can be of help to you in any way, please do not hesitate to let us know. Man, it's great to see our young people back tonight after a great retreat. One of the first things I heard this morning when our classes were dismissed and the second service was over and I was leaving the, the auditorium and going into the office back here, I met one of the students. I said, well, how did it go? And they said, man, it was awesome. It was great. And I was asking to Philip a few moments ago, how did it go? And he said, man, it was really, really good. We're grateful that you're back safely. You had a great retreat. We're grateful for Philip and the absolute wonderful job he does in leading our youth program and all the, the help from the, the parents and others who are involved in that. Let me remind you, two weeks from today, April the 24th, Family Day. You need to pick up one of these brochures. It just kind of gives you an ideal and an insight into all the activities of that day. And it's gonna be a great day for us here at Mount Juliet. And there's about 11 or 12 different things that you can choose to do and participate. Now you may wanna make note of the fact that there's a little difference uh, in our worship service that day. The evening service will be at one o'clock. And by two o'clock, we should be out in all the activities for the spiritual family and your physical family. So we're asking you to truly, really try to focus in on your physical family as well. In other words, parents don't just send your kids off somewhere and say, all right, this is a break. No, we want to do things together as a family. We want to do it as a spiritual family. We want to do it as a physical family. So we hope you will take that, take advantage of it. Man, a great day. And I'm appreciative of all those who have worked so diligently, put in a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of planning into making this a great day and a great event for us here at Mount Julia. Now, if you have a copy of God's word, Luke chapter number seven. Luke chapter number seven. I'm sure some of you, or maybe all of us at some time or another, we've either done or we know someone that has made a last minute phone call to our wives and we may have said something like this, honey, guess who's coming to dinner tonight? I mean, it may be 30 minutes prior, it may be an hour, and you know, maybe a boss has come into town and you forgot that this was the day, or maybe a visitor, a friend is passing through the area and you want them to stop and eat, and so you make the phone call and you say, honey, guess who's coming in tonight? And then you inform them. Well, when I read the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, something that I find is that Jesus Christ, regularly you find him eating with someone. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever noticed that in your study, but it seems that, that Jesus Christ loved to eat with others. In fact, we read in Mark chapter 14 that he ate with his disciples. In Luke chapter 15 or Luke chapter five, we find Jesus Christ eating with, with the sinners and the tax collectors. In Mark chapter number 12, we find him eating with a tax collectors again, but also this time he says that he had some friends. In Luke chapter 11, the word of God says he was eating with the Pharisees. So you may get the impression, you know that Jesus Christ really doesn't seem to turn down many meals. He really likes to eat with other folks. And I would say this is one respect that most preachers are like Jesus. We just don't turn down many meals. 
You know, when, you know, we all joke around about the, you know, the eating the chicken, feeding the, feeding the preacher the chicken. I had a buddy of mine up in, in Knoxville. He would come by and he'd pat me on the stump and he'd say, what is that, a chicken coop? And I said, well, you know my philosophy about preaching. You, you eat the bird and you preach the word, right? Jesus Christ seemed to enjoy eating with others. Well, in Luke chapter seven, we have recorded for us the very first time that Jesus Christ is invited to eat with a Pharisee. In verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to eat. Now, in verses 40, 43, and 44, we can identify who this Pharisee is. It is Simon. And the words request or ask is an interesting word because the word suggests an urgency about this invitation. In other words, Simon didn't just happen to bump into Jesus and said, hey, you wanna grab a sandwich? Hey, you wanna drop in for a, uh, for a quick bite? No, the urgency here is he invited again and again and again. For some reason, this man really wanted Jesus to come and to partake of a meal with him. So you may say, well, I wonder why was Simon so anxious to get Jesus to come to his house and to partake of a meal? Well, there's a lot of suggestions that may be given. Some may say, well, you know what? Being a Pharisee, he was probably looking for some way to uh, find out something about Jesus, gather some information so he could trap him. Or maybe he could just come, maybe invite him over and he could find some, some fault with him. Or, you know what, there's another one that seems to be more accurate and that is, maybe he just had a real sincere interest in saying, who is this man? Who is this man called Jesus, really? I wanna know more about him. So what we find tonight in our study of the Word of God in Luke chapter seven, I want you to note three things. We're just gonna make real note of the story and then we're gonna to try to look at, okay, what do we do with this? What do we do with this information in this recorded word of God for our hearts and for our lives? So tonight, first of all, I want you to notice in verse 39. Verse 39, you find the resentment by a Pharisee. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, saw what? Well, you go back and read verse 37 and 38. What has happened? Jesus come in, sat down to eat. And all of a sudden, hey Simon, guess who's coming to dinner? <laughs> hey Simon, there's someone coming and he is, she has not been invited. She is probably not wanted and she is totally unexpected because what you find in verses 37 and 38 that this woman comes in, a woman of the city. And when she stood close to the Savior, her emotions just overflowed. And as her emotions overflowed, her tears fell like raindrops. And what she did is she unbound her hair. Now understand something, in that culture, unbinding her hair would be considered a, a disgrace. And she unbound her hair and she began to wipe the muddy and dirty feet of the feet of Jesus Christ. But she didn't stop there. Because the next thing the word of God says is she began kissing the feet of Jesus, which would be a sign of deep reverence and respect. And then she poured perfume on the feet of the Savior. And all of that occurred. And when Simon in verse 39 saw all that, he said to himself, I've always been told you have to be really careful when you start talking to yourself. I've also been told it's okay to, 
talk to yourself as long as you don't answer yourself. It seems to me in our text that Simon begins to answer himself because in verse 39, the word of God says that he said, this man, Jesus, the one who he's requested to come into my house for a meal, if he were a prophet, hmm, wouldn't he know something? Wouldn't he know who and what manner of woman this is and who it is that's touching him? For she is a sinner. See, now in his mind, Simon seems to reason something like this. If he really knew who that woman was, then he wouldn't be a prophet. And if he did know who she was and he just did, simply didn't care, that would be then that he's not a really good man. So he concludes this and what Simon failed to see and what Simon failed to understand is this. Listen, folks, Jesus knew everything there was to know about that woman. Jesus knew everything there were to know about Simon. And guess what? Jesus knows everything about you and about me. John chapter two and the verses number 25. Jesus knows what is on the heart of an individual. Simon missed that. Brethren, tonight, let's not miss that. Let's not miss this fact that Jesus Christ knows your life, he knows my life, and he knows our hearts. And Simon failed to see that. Now, when all that occurred, what did Jesus do? Well, look at the response of the Savior. Verse 40, Jesus answered and said to Simon, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now, I can almost hear some maybe condescension, maybe some irony in the voice of Simon in the last part of verse 40, look. And he said, ah, oh, teacher, say it. Say it. It's like his mind's already made up. I mean, according to Simon, the riddle has been solved. According to Simon, the drama is over. So he says, you know, you can always like say, okay, whatever. Jesus says, Simon, I want to say something. He says, oh, whatever. And then Jesus begins to speak and Jesus records this parable in verses 41 and following. What I want you to notice about this parable is so simple. It has three characters and it has a minimum of a plot. And Jesus records this parable beginning in verse 41. Simon, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Remember, a denarii, a denarii was about a day's wage for the common laborer. Verse 42. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me therefore, Simon, which of them will love him more? Now that's the simple story. Jesus records and he says, Simon, a money lender. He had two of these fellows that owed him some money. One owed him like two years wages and the other owed him about two months wages. And Jesus said to Simon, now the man has forgiven both of these debtors. Simon, why don't you tell me what you think and who do you really think would love him more? Well, I want you to notice something about the response of Simon. In verse 43, Simon answered and he says, I suppose. Do you hear a little bit of condescension in that, in that response? Do you hear a little bit of like, does it matter? He says, well, I suppose, I guess. 
the one who forgave the most. Now, right there, I want to stop. And I'm, when Simon answered, you remember that show, and it may still be on, that was called something like Family Feud? Remember that show where there'd be a family of five over here and a family of five over here, and they were to give the, the top 10 answers or the top three answers of, of 100 people who have been surveyed on these certain questions? I've seen that a few times, and you would have this family and this family, and you know, they'd come around and they ask the question, and they'd say, now listen, you got to be careful. You already got one strike against you. And there's still seven answers left on that board. What would your answer be? And they repeat the question. And this individual will give an answer and the family goes, yeah, good answer, good answer. And I'm going, that's dumb. That doesn't have a chance of being on that board. We can stay here the rest of the day and that answer will not be on this board. I promise you it will not be. And the family's going, yeah, yeah. And I'm going, really? Well, you know what I want to do right here? I want to say to Simon, good answer, Simon. You are correct. But you know what Jesus said? Jesus didn't say that. Jesus, in the last part of verse 43, says, Simon, you have rightly judged, not answer. Catch that. Don't let that go by you. Jesus did not look to Simon and say, Simon, you have given a really good answer. And I compliment you for that. No, he says, Simon, you need to understand something. You judged rightly. You judged. In other words, Simon, you simply did not respond to the question. You simply did not just give an answer. Simon, you announced a judgment, a judgment on yourself. In other words, we would say his own words convicted him. But then notice the conclusion. Now that's the content of the parable, but quickly notice the conclusions beginning in verse 44. Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon. Notice that. He turned to the woman and he spoke to Simon. And he asked this question that Simon must have thought about. It was totally ridiculous. He said to Simon, do you see this woman? He's looking at her. Now, I don't know what Simon responded going, well, duh. How can I miss her? Right there she is in front of us. Yes, I see this woman. I mean, do I have to remind you? She ruined my dinner, she crashed my party, and she has embarrassed me in the process. Yes, I see her. So what? May I suggest to you, those were just empty words. He saw her with his eyes, but he did not see her with his heart. He observed her with his eyes, physically, but he did not see her the way Jesus saw that individual. Those were just empty words when he says, yes, I see her. See, he had seen her for what she had been. He had seen her for what she was, but he didn't see her for what she really was, and that was this, an individual, a sinner, needing Jesus. She was a sinner needing salvation. She was a sinner needing the Savior, and it's as if Simon missed all of that. But then look at the last part of verse 44. He reminded old Simon, he said, you know, Simon, I entered your house, 
And Simon, you really didn't give me the common courtesy of a visitor. You gave me no water for my feet. She has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And you, Simon, you gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. Simon, verse 46, you did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with a fragrant oil. In other words, in the culture and the customs of that day and time, it would have been normal to treat a guest, a visitor in that manner. You would have a pail of water where they could wash your feet or you'd better yet, you would have a servant to do that for them. And many times you would give them oil to put on their face and on their skin because of the, the heat of the sun. So he looked at Simon, he said, Simon, you didn't even give me the common courtesy of, of coming into your home and this woman, look what she has done. She has washed not only my feet and dried them with her hair, but she gave me that oil. And then he made application. Therefore, verse 47, based on what has just been said, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Now we saw the reaction. We saw, oh, Simon, we saw the fact that he had resentment. We saw the response of the Savior. But now what are the real lessons for living? Have you ever read this account and wondered? You think Simon had a change of heart? I wonder if this woman, this individual, do you think she had a change of life? Do you think she went on her way, maybe much like the, the Ethiopian eunuch, she went on her way rejoicing because she'd rendered obedience to the Savior? Did this individual live a godly life from that moment on? And you know what? We would say, boy, I hope so on both accounts. For both of those individuals, I hope that happened. But brethren, I want us to understand tonight, this story, the story that is so simple, it's not written to condemn or commend these participants. I believe this simple, simple story of love, tears, and forgiveness is recorded so that you and I will look at our hearts so that you and I can examine our lives and that we can make application, that we can be the people that would live for the Savior. So let me just make a couple recommendations as we conclude the lesson. Three lessons, I would say, for real living. Number one, brethren, when I read this account, there's one thing that stands out. Everybody, everybody needs forgiveness. We all need forgiveness. It doesn't matter who we are. Doesn't matter where we live or what kind of job we have, every individual needs the forgiveness of the Savior of the world. And please do not get caught up on the 50 and the 500 denarii. Whether you owe the Savior 50 or you owe him 500, what I want you to understand is, is both of those debtors in verse 42, they were unable to pay. They were unable to pay. And guess what? You and I are unable to pay for the debt of our sin. So therefore, we, every individual in this auditorium, we need the forgiveness of our Savior, Jesus Christ, because we too, whether it be 50 or 500 or even more, we don't have the ability to do that. We cannot do enough good works and attend enough worship services to be able to say to God, God, I've earned my way, and now I believe that you ought to really kind of give me heaven from this point on because of what all I've done. No, listen, brethren, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None is righteous. No, not even one, Romans 3 and verse 10. And the wages of sin continues to be separation from God, Romans 6, verse 23. 
When I read this story, it reminds me, I, I'm pretty convinced this old Pharisee here, Simon, he would have considered himself at least 10 times, if not 100 times better than that woman. But you know what? He had a need. He had a need, just like the woman did. He needed forgiveness. Brethren, a common thread, a common thread woven throughout the fabric of every life here tonight is we all need the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We need his blood to wash away our sins as we call upon the name of the Lord in obedience. That's just a common thread woven throughout the fabric of every one of our lives. Now I understand when I look at this text, we're not all guilty of the same sins, but we're all still guilty. When I look at Simon and I look at that woman, they're not guilty of the same sin. She was not guilty of the sins of the flesh. I believe he was guilty of the sins of the spirit. When you look at his attitude and you see his pride and you see his self-centeredness and you see his self-righteousness. But the truth is from both of these individuals that I need to learn and I need to apply to my life is that every individual stands empty-handed in the presence of the one who's given us so much. Jesus has given it all. He bore it all for you and for me. Second lesson I would suggest we learn. Forgiveness is the gracious gift of God. You know, most of us probably enjoy receiving gifts, do we not? We like getting gifts. Here's something that you need, and you know, here's something we need is forgiveness, and forgiveness is a gracious gift of God. Brethren, I would ask you tonight, we only have one hope, and our only hope is the graciousness of our Lord. Therefore, we surrender to him. And when I read this, this parable of Jesus, I realize, you know, money lenders, as a rule, they're not real merciful folks. You know, you've seen movies and television shows and maybe you've read books and you know, the money lenders are not generally merciful. But aren't we grateful that God is? You know, money lenders have really been known to, you know, break a few legs and crack a few ribs and send a few folks to the hospital. Very seldom do they send, uh, you know, one of the collectors or one of the sharks out and say, hey man, don't worry about it. The boss says you're good. Just write it off, man. You're okay. The boss says we okay. No, they come out and give you a warning. It might be a broke rib, it might be a broke finger, but they're going to tell you somehow, they're going to get their message across. Listen, we want our money, not merciful. God is right on the contrary of that. God is merciful. God gives us a gracious gift of salvation. It's no wonder the apostle Paul said, grace, mercy, and peace is from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. First Timothy one and verse number two. Brethren, here's one thing I don't want you to go over your head tonight. I want you to catch this one thing right here. Brethren, the parable does not deal with the amount of sin in a person's life, but it deals with the awareness, with the awareness of sin in your heart. Please don't miss that. This parable is not about the amount of sin. It's about the awareness of sin in our heart. This woman was deeply aware of the enormity of her sin. It's evidenced by her tears and by the fact that her love for Christ overflowed. 
Contrast that with Simon. We see nothing in the text that indicates that he had an awareness of his personal sin. I see nothing where he had any feeling for guilt or, or deep obligation to express love. Someone once said that the greatest sin is to be conscious of no sin. In other words, you just act as if, like Simon, that you don't have sin, that you haven't fallen short, that you don't need a Savior. The greatest sin of all is the consciousness of no sin. Brethren, I would appeal to us tonight as we look at the gracious gift of God Almighty that we say, I want to be like this woman. I want to be tenderhearted and I want to express my love and devotion to Christ. And the very first time Jesus spoke to the woman is in verse number 48. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. That's the first time he spoke to the woman. Well, wouldn't that be wonderful news? The first time that Jesus Christ speaks to you and he looks at her and he says, you are forgiven forgiven. That's the gracious gift of God Almighty. Lesson number three, forgiveness should result in a changed life. In a changed life, he said to his woman in verse 50, your faith, second thing he says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Literally, the Greek there says, go in to peace. Go into peace. Peace of mind and peace of heart had been missing from her life. But now she's given a fresh start and we can have that fresh start. The Bible says in Romans chapter five and verse one, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Isn't that wonderful news? Then a sinner can be forgiven and a sinner in obedience that there is good news in Jesus Christ. So if we look at concluding this lesson tonight, maybe we want to do it this way. The debt of sin, brethren, had to be paid. He had to be paid by the only Son of God and the only Savior of the world on the cross of Calvary. Him who knew no sin was made to be sin on our behalf. So how do we summarize all of this? I would summarize a parable in this way. A failure that needs forgiveness. That's your life and my life. That we all need the Savior of the world. We need the blood of Jesus applied to our souls to wash away our sins. But not only do I see a failure here that needs forgiveness, I see a faith that received that forgiveness. Maybe tonight, your life of faith, you believe with all of your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You believe that but maybe that faith needs to lead you to render obedience, to accept the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to receive that forgiveness and obedience. Maybe tonight you need to repent of your sins and you need to wash away those sins in the water grave of baptism. That you can be raised in that water grave of baptism to walk in the newness life and have a life with Jesus that you never had. To experience a relationship with the Savior that you've never enjoyed. You need a faith tonight that receives forgiveness. But then number three, I would say that we need a freedom that follows forgiveness. What a blessing it is to be a Christian, isn't it? What a joy it is to have your sins redeemed. Just walk with the Savior of the world and to be able to have that relationship. That's freedom from the consequences of eternal sin. And the wonderful news is that's available to you tonight. And it can give you a freedom 
a release from those sins that you can live a life for the Savior like you've never lived and experience joy and a peace that passes all understanding because, folks, you can't get it anywhere else. It's only through Jesus. So tonight, maybe you need that freedom and maybe you desire that freedom. If you do, then come to the Savior as together we stand and we sing.